This is episode 34 of One Page at a Time, 2020 Favorite Reads with your co-hosts, Jill and Amanda. This is Jill in Virginia. And Amanda in Dubai. We are here to help you read more often. Read at home. Read at school. Read with your kids. Read with your spouse. Read aloud. Read faster. Just read. We dig through the data, gather the anecdotes, and chat with the experts who can tell you why and how you should make books a bigger part of your life. We're on this journey along with you, bringing people and reading together one page at a time. Hello, friends. I want to congratulate all of you for making it to 2021. We did it. And I'm not going to lie, I am so proud of us. All the warm fuzzies to all of us. Congratulations. To the cheering crowd. Well, 2020 was a year that none of us want to repeat for for many, many reasons. Um, But both Amanda and I have to admit that it was kind of It turned out to be the perfect storm of suddenly being stuck at home as well as desperately needing an escape mechanism to get out away from things that were happening in real life. So 2020 actually made it possible for both of us to read more books in a year than I think either of us ever have before in our lives. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about how else our reading habits kind of were affected by 2020 as we talk today, but no matter what else was happening, we want to celebrate the fact that we both accomplished the one reading goal we had set for ourselves. So this is us celebrating. We did it. Yay! It's so important to celebrate all the victories we can get, you know, as a general rule, but also especially for this year, especially with reading goals, because because we had, I'm assuming that most people around the world had set their reading goal, you know, in January of 2020, or perhaps December of 2019. Yes, 19 is the year before 20. So, <laughs> 2021 shaping up to be great. So. Off to a great start. <laughs> and this is what happens when you listen to... No, I'm just <laughs> But I think that, you know, all of us had set perhaps different goals. You know, if you're typically one to set goals and if you had set a reading goal, I'm guessing it uh, turned out a little bit differently than what you may have expected. And for both of us, it, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but our, our reading was very different this year. It was. <laughs> very different. So Jill, what was your one reading goal that you had set for yourself? So my goal actually didn't get set until later in the year, but the one thing I wanted to do... I guess this was kind of a goal, but I wanted to keep track of what I read. People always ask me for book recommendations because I read a lot, but I also have a terrible memory. So I never remember what books I've read so that I can recommend them. I just don't. Even if they're fabulous, wonderful, life-changing books, I just don't remember them. I I, I don't. It's a, it's a default in my brain. I inherited it from my parents. It's a thing. It's a family trait. So I decided that I was going to start tracking the books that I read, just writing them down so that when people ask me for recommendations, I can scan the list and be like, oh, this one was a good one. You should read that. So that's what I was doing. The year went on. The world started falling apart and I started falling into books because like I said in the beginning, it was my escape mechanism when everything else just felt dark and scary. I read books. So as I was reading more and more books, I was kind of seeing the numbers go up and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm kind of plowing through books this year. Maybe I should like put a number on it. So I decided on 100, kind of arbitrary. I think you had already set your goal. So I think my my goal was kind of sort of influenced by your goal, Amanda. But that's, <laughs> that was what I decided. Probably about, I don't know, April or May is when I came up with that number of 100 books. What about you, Amanda? What was your goal? Yeah, well, uh, luckily, so we kind of did the same thing. I had set a goal, but then it kind of morphed as the year went on. But luckily, I had some pretty low hanging fruit to reach for in 2020. Because my overall goal was just to, you know, read more, (laughs) which (laughs) it's, it's ambiguous. But also, uh, we've mentioned this before, I've mentioned it before in the podcast that I really haven't been reading in my adult life. So I'm like, hey, even if I just read about five books, that's more. Goal achieved. Exactly. So I, and honestly, with the last few years, having young kids at home and no libraries and I mean, book culture has been very different in my life. So honestly, if I had read probably two whole books, I probably would have read more than the previous year. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to go anywhere beyond that. I'm just going to see 
I don't want to attach any numbers, but I had printed off Jansen from Everyday Readings reading log. It's so pretty with the books on a bookshelf Mm -hmm. and everything. And I was like, well, there's room for a hundred on here. So we'll see. But I'm just going to read more, (laughs) which I did. I definitely, definitely did. (laughs) You accomplished that one. So I actually ended up filling that up and I kind of saw it coming that I was going to reach 100 sometime around June or so. And we were actually, we being you and I, Joe, were reading a ton of princess and superhero books because <laughs> we were trying to create those lists. Mm-hmm. So we were, and we'll talk about this more later in <laughs> the episode. I don't even know how many we read, but we were reading a ton of princess and superhero books and they were light, quick reads. And so it's like, you know what? I'm going to hit 100 in the middle of the year. And I did. So yeah, it was August that I hit 100 books. And I was like, August? Huh, 100 in August. I wonder if, or maybe it's the end of July. So I was toying with the idea of 200 to see if I could hit 200. It's like, I'm not going to pressure myself unless I start to get close at the end of the year and then I'm going to do it. (laughs) But if I only read, you know, 10 more, then I'm not going to push it. But I did end up getting to a high enough number by the time December rolled around that I was like, nope, got to do it. Got to do it. I'm never going to do this again. So do it once, do it now. So I I did hit 200, even though my overall goal was just to read more. Which you definitely accomplished. Well, because we both read so much this year and have a lot of books, a whole pool of books to choose from, we thought we would talk about the books we read this year, kind of recommendation style or maybe recap or, you know, honestly, maybe this is some kind of trauma therapy, a little bit of all the above. But we did want to share with you some of our favorite reads from the year, whether they're rereads or new reads, there's a little bit of everything um, on our lists. So we're going to talk about kind of our top five here today, but we decided to be brave and open and honest and share our full list of everything we both read. We decided to to do it. We're sharing our full list, but we're also going to link all of the books we talked about today on our blog as well as in the show notes. So be sure and check those out if you so you don't have to frantically write them down as we're reading or talking about them. But I think we should probably dive in and start talking about books. Are you ready, Amanda? I'm ready. Let's do this. I'll I'll go ahead and start us off with a a light read. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if this is considered light read. Anyway, okay, so my first book is Maniac McGee by Jerry Spinelli. And this is actually a juvenile fiction book. I think I listened to it as an audio book, and I think the total audio time is maybe like three and a half hours. I list this book here as one of my top five for a couple reasons. The first is that it's about racism and 2020. It's a very applicable topic. Yeah, timely topic. Timely. And then the second reason is because it's short and it's still powerful. So both of us, Jill and I, ended up reading, I'd say, a few, maybe even quite a few juvenile fiction books. I'd probably go quite a few. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it was either, you know, for the princess superhero list or right at the end of the year to finish up the list or our reading list in time. <laughs> Both of us were asking for recommendations. Oh, what about holes? What about, oh, you know, <laughs> these, these quick reads. And this one was only four hours, Amanda. Get it, get it. <laughs> exactly. We, so we were bouncing these off. We were asking other people too. Some of you may have been people that we asked for recommendations, but we mostly reread favorites and then shared them with each other, asked friends, family for their favorite books that they read as a kid. And this is one that I think I read in either fourth or fifth grade, Maniac McGee, that has stuck with me in details ever since. Just little tiny parts of it I had remembered and I wanted to go back and reread it because I don't know how many books I read for school, but you know, this one stood out for some reason. So I wanted to go back and reading quick books that are easy and powerful like Narnia, which I read for the first time this year, all seven, Harry Potter, Hatchet, Ella Enchanted. It's really important for me. These books that shape our childhoods can help us to go back to lessons learned, memories, experiences from those earlier years. And these juvenile fiction books also give a sense of accomplishment when read so quickly. 
They can help us prepare or screen books for our kids, which honestly, they are so full of meaning and they blow other adult fiction books out of the water sometimes. So just think of Narnia and how Lewis writes such powerful symbolism and they're meant to draw you into introspection. They aren't a self-help or parenting book. It's fiction that gives you all the benefits of fiction. So I fully believe we should all be reading at least a couple juvenile fictions throughout each year and also encouraging all our children, regardless of their ages, to do the same if we find or remember a good one. So I I feel like juvenile fiction, I'm going to defend it as something that we were reading because of those reasons. And then the other reason for Maniac McGee that I listed it here is because of the theme of the story. So I remembered the story being about a homeless kid who runs everywhere and unties a big knot. That's it. (laughs) And I was embarrassed, honestly, as I'm listening to this book to instantly realize that the entire book is about racism. And I didn't remember that theme at all. I just remember a big knot. And there were a few books that I read this year about racism that were really good, really, really good. But I'm counting Maniac McGee as my choice for this category of particularly 2020 books because of my earlier point. It's a short read, it's powerful, and it's presented in a way that children understand and makes you think. Makes you think about all the people in your life, from how your kids perceive race, to how you and those around you have racial bias. And the book synopsis that I give is this. There are good people of every color, bad people of every color, and racial prejudice is a social construct. And this message is definitely one to spend some time with while looking in the mirror and also while teaching our children and the children that we care for. I love those reasons to read juvenile fiction. And I agree with all those reasons to read juvenile fiction. Some of my favorite books, even now as an adult, my all-time favorite book is Ella Enchanted. So that right there. Still, after all these years, Ella Enchanted is my number one. But I still, even with those feelings, I still read more juvenile fiction this year than I thought I was going to. And for the reasons that Amanda said, but also kind of at the end of 2019, my oldest son started being really interested in these juvenile fiction books. And we found it kind of started with this series of books called A Boy Called Bat, which is about an autistic boy whose mom is a vet and she rescues a baby skunk. And so there's three books in this series and he latched onto this, but he's not a strong enough reader to read them on his own. Even now, over a year later, he's still not at a reading level or a willingness to put the work in. (laughs) I think he could do it if he tried, but that's a a story for a whole other day. But he loves them. And so, of course, of course I make it happen. And so I have read out loud quite a few juvenile fiction books with the kids recently. And some have been my favorites that I've read with them, but there's been a lot that we've read that I, that are new to me. I've never read them before. So the, my, my all time one that I read with the kids book this year is a book called the great tree house war by Lisa Graff. And it is so delightful. So, so delightful. It's delightful enough that along with reading it together, we also checked out and listened to the audiobook probably four or five times since we read it for the first time. So not just me, all of my kids loved it. So the story kind of centers around a fifth grader named Winnie and her parents um, divorce early on in the book. And they are very, very concerned with things being fair between them. (laughs) Let's just, so fair between (laughs) them. So they're trying to figure out how to divide up Winnie's time between the two of them. And their solution is they buy two houses next door to each other. And then there's a tree in between the two yards and they build a tree house and the tree. So she spends every other day with her parents. And then because there's seven days in a week and that's not even, one day a week she stays in the treehouse. That was their solution, which sounds crazy, but it works for the story. But it gets more and more just hard for them to divide things up equally, but they're still trying and they're trying to one up each other. And Winnie reaches her breaking point and she ends up moving into her treehouse and she refuses to come down until her parents come to their senses. She just, she needs to shock them out of this somehow. And so she um, barricades herself in the treehouse. And it turns out that several of her classmates who also had grievances of their own with her, with their parents or siblings, they end up joining her in the treehouse. And so they wage this two week standoff with parents as well as, you know, police and community members um, refusing to come down from the treehouse. And this book, I think it was equal parts fun because what kid doesn't love the idea of living in a treehouse without their parents or siblings, 
but it also is very thought provoking because Winnie is the one who ends up needing to work out what her and her friends actually need and what they really are struggling with, which turns out to be different in a lot of ways than what they originally told themselves they were running away for. It is delightful. And everybody needs to go read it, even if you don't have kids, because it's so fun. I, w- I want to. I want to read it. You should. <laughs> Sounds good. I've never even heard of that one before. Is it new or is it kind of old? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I should know that. I could Google <laughs> no. it quick. No, no worries. I'm sure. It's new-ish. We'll find out. It's new-ish because the okay. kids talk about technology and stuff. The ah. the kids, one of the one of the kids brings a smartphone up to the treehouse. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So pretty new. Yeah. Okay, well, my next one is a nonfiction. I'm going to call it a work of brilliance. It is so good. If you have talked to me at all about books this year, I am 100% positive I have mentioned this book at least once to you. (laughs) It's so good. I made my husband listen to it and ordered a gorgeous hardcover copy to be shipped across the planet to me, requested it to be stocked in three different bookstores here in Dubai. It is that good. It is life-changing good. And now firmly in my top five books of all time, good. It is that good. <laughs> I read it. That's a good book. Multiple times. It, I read it multiple times in a single year, despite trying to reach 200 books because I only counted it once. It is that good. I will shout this book from the rooftops good. Okay, I'll stop. But it's, so it's kind of a surprising book, honestly. It's not one that, I I think would jump out at people as being a really good read, but this book has more in it. Wait, what's the book? Did you say what the book is? Did I? (gasps) I didn't even say the book. (laughs) I'm sitting here in suspense. What's the book, Amanda? Okay. So the the book is called Quiet by Susan Cain, or that's the short, the short thing. It's quiet, a life of introspection or introversion. I, I, I need to look up the full title. I, it's quiet, <laughs> quiet colon long extra title by Susan Kane, Kane with a C. And it, it it's this book that just kind of, if you know people, you should listen or read this book. <laughs> it's that good. It's a book about introversion. And as a result, talks about extroversion quite a lot. And you can't really discuss one without the other. So it, you know, they, they're tied together, but the main focus is introversion. And since my husband is an extrovert and I am an introvert, since I have been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, since I have children, since I am a human who interacts with other humans, this is like a life Bible for me. So if you are a person, you should read this book or listen to it as an audiobook because it's quite good in that format as well. So quiet, it's definitely one that I will be reading again in 2021 and perhaps every year hereafter. (laughs) Okay. I am definitely a human. So I feel like I should probably read this book at some point. I'm Jill. I can't believe that you haven't read it yet. I haven't. And I do remember (laughs) you talking about it. I think mostly when you first read it. Um, but I'm, I'm not really a nonfiction person, but I do want to talk about nonfiction for a second. So I wanted to include a nonfiction book in my top five, like you did, Amanda, but then I scrolled through all 100 books I read in 2020. And I think there were maybe five nonfiction ones, like five out of 100. So it turns out that I fell victim this year to something that I've heard actually from a lot of friends who are big readers just in general, even before 2020. So it turns out that we read things this past year that just made us feel good. We fell into our comfort zone. I think because reading turned into an escape mechanism for so many of us to kind of mentally check out of what was going on around us in the world. We we went to our comfort zone when it came to reading. And that looked different for everybody that I talked to. Like one friend was all about these like cozy murder mysteries. And then another friend did psychological thrillers, which would have completely derailed me. I could not have read. I think I read one, maybe two this year. Oh my goodness. Um, Station Eleven. <laughs> was a book that I read this year, Station Eleven, in a pandemic. And it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, too. That was a terrible... That was maybe not the greatest idea. Yeah. But for this friend, that was her comfort zone. That's where she was used to them. She loves them. So that's where she went. So it was different for all of us, but it still showed that none of us really had the mental capacity in 2020 to stretch ourselves when it came 
for to reading, or at least not stretch ourselves as much as we usually do, or we usually try to, um, we fell into, like I said, like three times, we fell into comfort zones. I just can't emphasize this enough that reading in 2020 was all about that comfort. So because in like my natural inclination falls to fiction, I this year stuck to what I love. And even in the very broad category of stuck of fiction, because that's huge, I stuck to what I call fluffy fiction, just books that make me feel good. And to kind of illustrate that 10 of the 100 books I read, that's 10% of the books I read were written by Sophie Kinsella. And that's not a knock on Sophie Kinsella. Obviously, I love her books, because eight of the 10 that I read were ones that I read before. So I was rereading them because I love them. But it does show that's the kind of books that I leaned towards this year. And I read a lot of them. And that's something I heard from so many people this year. I feel the same way. And looking at our looking at my list, the same thing, the same thought happened to us. And in the intro, we kind of talked about how we we were brave. We put our brave pants on and we're going to publish our list of everything that we read. And both of us, we had this conversation together about how we were a little bit worried about publishing the books that we read because so many of what we read or listened to are fluffy. There, There's this, this fluff stuff. I, I mean, even talking with my husband, he was like, well, I mean, what's the point? of reading so many books if they're fluff, like if they're not substantial, but why would you do that? And looking at some and hearing other people's lists, if anyone read lots of nonfiction, which there were only two people, as I was kind of polling the audience, there were only two people who read like more than five nonfiction, myself included, and I love nonfiction. So there, there weren't that many. And these two people that I spoke to, granted, it's a small sampling because I don't talk to that many people about the books that they read in 2020. But those two people only read a total of, you know, maybe 10, maybe 11 books. And most of them they read in, can you guess when? January, <laughs> February, and December. <laughs> so I feel like when things started to hit the fan, we all kind of went into this cozy mode that, that you were talking about. It's not a bad thing. I, I think it's really good. And we we were talking about this earlier too, that for the naysayers about fiction, especially, there are so many cognitive benefits, emotional benefits that come from fiction. And we can and should and will do an entire episode, at least one episode on those benefits of fiction. But we can link to a post or a, an article from the Harvard Business Review that cites a pretty recent study that shows that reading fiction can help you with decision making, but only if you finish the fiction. <laughs> so, so, yes. So it, it helps you because you feel a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of closure. Mm -hmm. So, but they, they were doing this with short stories and they were finding that people who read short stories even were making better decisions. So they found it easier. And so that's just one cognitive benefit that comes from, from reading fiction that's just light and fluffy and you don't have to think about it. And nonfiction is really important to, you know, stretch our brains and everything. But I feel like there are still enough benefits from fluff that it's not the same as watching TV or something like that. There are still lots of benefits that come cognitively, emotionally. I don't know. I'm going to defend us, Jill. And I'm going to defend away. any of you out there who are saying, you know, oh, I don't know that I uh... <laughs> who may be feeling a little bit ashamed that they pretty much just read fluffy books in 2020. But a you're not alone. And b you do you. <laughs> you do you exactly. And there are, it's good to read books, no matter what they are. It's helpful. It's good. So keep reading. That's my those are my thoughts. Oh, <laughs> this is a great soapbox. We were on a joint soapbox. 
It's something we needed to get off of our chest because we've talked about it with each other a lot and we just felt like we needed to get it out there in the universe. But because of all of that and looking at my measly five nonfiction books I read, I kind of wasn't going to include a nonfiction, but then I was looking at it and the one that I would have picked as my top nonfiction read for 2020 is one that actually fits in really well with this little capsule of my 2020 books. So I decided to include it anyway. So First, we're going to set the scene of what led me to read this book. Um, For Mother's Day this year, my husband took all three of our kids camping for one night, all three kids, and I got to stay home alone. What? Most amazing Mother's Day gift ever. (laughs) He may never do it again, but he did it for me. So I can't remember the last time I had the house completely to myself for that long. And because it was 2020, I completely indulged in whatever lazy, enjoyable things I wanted to do that evening. So I let my Indian food. What's that? I I think I remember you eating Indian food. I did. My husband doesn't like Indian food um, and I love it. So I made myself a big pan of chicken tikka masala and um, I stayed up until 3 a.m. watching all three Pitch Perfect movies in a row. And I have no regrets. I remember this night. I was so proud of you. Yes, I'm pretty sure I was sending you many messages late into the night, which luckily is not late into the night for you because you're in Dubai. So I was very excited. I woke up in the morning and you were still awake and I got to chat with you. (laughs) It's true. So I've seen all those movies quite a few times before, but this time I also watched all the credits for some reason. I don't even know why, but I was watching the credits and it it turns out that the first movie was based on a nonfiction book. And I didn't know this. And it was so odd to me that this movie was based on a nonfiction book. When I first saw based on the book, I thought it was a novel. So I looked it up and it was not a novel. It's a, a nonfiction book written about college acapella groups, which is unsurprisingly called Pitch Perfect by Mickey Rapkin. So I decided to just keep with this theme and I I got the book from my library and I read it. And it was a very interesting read um, for me because I unashamedly love the movies. But it was fun to see how they took this nonfiction book and turned it into a very fictitious movie. Like there were definitely, it was definitely inspired by this book. And there were even characters that I could see were pulled characteristics from people, like real actual people, which I thought it would be really cool to be one of those singers in the acapella group to be like, this like movie character was based on me. I thought that would be cool. Yeah, that'd be so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So that made it worth a read for me. And it, it might be worth a read for you if you happen to be an acapella fan or even just an Anna Camp, Anna Kendrick, Britney Snow fan, you know, all of these things might make you enjoy this book like I did. Oh, I want to. I mean, I I don't know where my fandom rates for acapella, but <laughs> I was quite involved with music when I was in. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is so interesting. It was. It was. It was pretty fun. Well, moving on to my next one. This is funny because both of us are like, oh, we didn't read any nonfiction, and <laughs> now here's another nonfiction that I'm gonna say. <laughs> it's because I like nonfiction a lot, and that's why these were some of the more notable ones that I read this year. (laughs) But anyway, so um, my next one is another one with this really long colonized, colonized, coloned (laughs) title. (laughs) It's like this title that never ends. And I'm seeing, I'm looking at our our script here and I'm seeing that I didn't finish this one either. (laughs) It's just kind of like fizzled off. Anyway, um, you can find it by searching for The Book of Eels. And I read this one right at the end of the year, and I've been really excited about it. I've also been talking about this one quite a bit. But it's The Book of Eels, our enduring fascination with the most mysterious something or other that I just stopped writing because it got too tedious. But (laughs) this book, (laughs) I'm so glad I was looking for books based on 2020 recommendation lists. I'm actually really excited whenever, when those start to come out in like the November, December time. Oh, I love them. I love recommendation lists and I love the ones that are for that year because I don't typically read new releases. I usually, yeah. Yeah. But this one, it kept showing up on all these random lists. Like several celebrities mentioned it. And I think the 
the one that I originally found it on was like Washington Post or New York Times or something. Anyway, I had to look it up because eels, is that some sort of slang term? Or is this book actually about the slimy swimming things? And the answer is yes, eels, the slimy swimming things. This is a book a nonfiction book about eels. And it was coming up on all of these recommendations. I'm like, okay, number one, nonfiction is my jam and nothing beats a well-written nonfiction to me. And in a weird topic, I I can't resist that. (laughs) So you, Jill, introduced me to Mary Roach, who's now one of my favorite authors, whose books often qualify in this category of well-written nonfiction about weird things. And I did listen to Gulp by her this year, by the way. And I think it was my second time through that one. And it's about the digestive system. But seriously, I can't get enough of weird nonfiction. Anyway, so back to eels. Eels, that's what I call it, eels, is a fairly quick read or listen. And it really does stay fascinating the entire way through, even though it's a book about eels. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a book I'm going to keep recommending to people because it's just so unique. It's like the book to recommend to someone who's read everything sort of a thing. Anyway, eels, you've got to read it. It's got theology and, you know, anatomy and history and I I don't know, psychology all around eels, which I knew nothing about. I've never even thought about eels before. It's just, I think that's part of the charm of the book though, because it's about such a strange topic. It might not have been successful if, you know, this, uh, anyway. It sounds like one of those nonfiction books that it would be a good, like, for somebody like me who is not naturally a nonfiction fan. Because like you said, I, I told you about Mary Roach. I love her. I've read pretty much every all of her books. And so it, it seems like one of those that somebody who may not love nonfiction would love this book. Yeah, I, there's a lot of first-person narrative in there as well. So he, the author of the book, he went eel fishing with his dad, apparently all the time. Anyway, so he brings that in and he tells it as a storyline. So it kind of keeps the book moving along. So I guess- Is the author British? Memoir in there. Uh, I think he's Swedish. Okay. Yeah. He talks about Kroner a lot. Okay. I think he's Swedish. All right. This one might've just gone on my list. You got me with quirky nonfiction. Yeah, I- I, uh, I will recommend it to everyone. Not quite as adamantly as quiet, but But still eels Eels. is up there. (laughs) All right. So um, this is really weird and I I have no explanation for how this happened, but I actually have another nonfiction book as well. It's kind of mind blowing, but there's one book I read that is just so crazy out of my norm of what I normally would gravitate to that I was shocked when I loved it. I, I read it and I loved it. So it's a graphic novel memoir. Just let those pieces, you know, fit together. So I randomly grabbed it off the shelf. It was on a staff recommendation shelf at my library. I was waiting for my kids to return our library books and they were doing like one at a time taking turns. It was taking forever. So I was just staring at this shelf of staff, re- staff recommendations at the library and something in the cover of this book just jumped out at me. And I, I glanced over it two, three times. And then finally I was like, you know what? I don't have any books to check out today. I don't have anything on holds. Why not? I grabbed it. I'm not a graphic novel reader. Growing up, it didn't really seem like there were that many available. And the ones that I peeked into kind of all had chaotic and very stylized illustrations, which didn't really hold my interest. I like more clean, simple things. And I didn't have anything against graphic novels. It just, I wasn't super into them. But today there are so many different kinds of graphic novels and there's all types of characters and all all different types of illustrations and subject matter. And I can easily find ones that both me and my kids love. So I've read quite a few with my kids, but I haven't looked into any adult ones. They've all been the kid, younger juvenile ones. So I think because I've read so many with my kids, I've decided, I decided to give Dancing at the Pity Party by Tyler Fetter a try. So that's what it's called, Dancing at the Pity Party. I'm really glad I grabbed it. It's a memoir of her experience of her mom dying of cancer during her sophomore year of college. So she was pretty young, probably 19 or 20. Um, The subject matter appealed to me because I have several friends who have lost their moms in the past few years. And just when I talk to them and my heart hurts so much for them, but ultimately I don't know what they went through. I don't know what it feels like to lose my mom earlier than, than I should. And 
I don't know what I could say or do that would actually be helpful most of the time when I talk to them. So Tyler was very honest in her book uh, about what it was like. And by presenting it in graphic novel form, it added this extra visual layer that um, kind of helped me experience it with her a little bit more. I still don't know what exactly it felt like to go through something like that, but it did give me more insight into that experience than I had before. And it did give me ideas and kind of correct some instincts that I had of of what to do for friends who go through something like that. Um, so for that reason, the illustrations were fantastic. The writing was good. She's, I think she's a comedian. Comic writing, I think, is her thing. I haven't looked too much into the author beyond this book, but it was humorous, but real and, and helpful. So that's why I put it on the list, even though it's one of the few nonfictions that I read this year. Oh, interesting. So do you feel like the graphic novel side of it added to your, I guess, ability to sympathize or empathize? I think it did. And I, it helps. I'm a visual person. I love illustrations. I love picture books. Even as an adult, I'm, I'm very into picture books. And, um, so I don't know if it would appeal to everybody, but for me, the graphic novel aspect of it definitely, definitely, I think, made it stand out to me more than if it were just a written memoir. That's so interesting. I've never heard of a, a memoir graphic novel I know. before. I am I know. curious. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was an interesting find for sure. Thank huh. you, staff recommendation at the library. Woohoo! love staff recommendations <laughs> and speaking of okay that's a really nice segue into mine so some books we find from people whom we like and my next book it, it is a fiction book actually <laughs> and I found it it's called Lovely War by Julie Berry and I found Lovely War because Jansen from Everyday Reading was raving about it. And I think she'd be okay with me using the word raving in this case because she was actually very enthusiastic about it. And you and I both love us some Jansen recommendations because we have very similar tastes in books. Mm -hmm. And another notable book that I read this year, The Starless Sea, was a recommendation from Adam Sokol from Libby, whom we also did an interview with, who reads so many books that if one stands out to him... You can guess it's going to be good. So there are different ways, you know, like staff recommendations and whatnot, different ways that we can find good books. And this one, oh, I have Jansen to thank for it. So back to Lovely War. I can say I love this book. I listened to it as an audiobook, And I'm going to throw out here that most, I'd say all but like maybe 10 12 or so. Most of the books that I read this year, I actually listened to as audiobooks. And some people might take issue with me considering that to be reading a book. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. think many people but, in the reading world will take issue with it. I, exactly. So I, I feel like it is consuming yep. a book. And I am an auditory learner in many ways. So I... It works. Anyway, so I listened to Lovely War as an audiobook. And this is one that if you are not a big audiobook fan, but you want to listen to an audiobook, I cannot imagine this book any other way. I do not want to read this on paper. <laughs> it has a full cast, meaning that each character's portion and speaking parts are read by separate actors and actresses. It is absolutely riveting. The storyline is one that I really enjoyed as well. And both of us, Jill and I, speaking for you here, hope you don't mind, we really enjoy young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the reasons I like it is because it tends to be cleaner than most adult fiction I come across, but it still delves into some interesting and deep topics. And Lovely War is adult fiction, like I wish all adult fiction would be. I'd let my teen listen to it. Not that I have a teen, but again, I think that this is one that is best as an audiobook. Truly, truly, truly. But it's not as fluffy as YA may be, and the conversations are less kind of, I don't know, teen melodrama-y, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's very much adult fiction, and it's more mature, written more mature, but it's not um, adult-rated. It's still a, a nice, solid PG rating <laughs> sort of a, a thing, and uh, you cannot beat the cast with this. So good. Lovely war. 
listen to the audiobook. All right. I will say I also discovered how great full cast audiobooks are this year. I talked about The Great Treehouse War, and that one has a full cast audiobook version. So I, I personally prefer physical books, but if I am in a situation where audiobooks are the thing, full cast is pretty great. Um, but I also listened to a few more audiobooks in general this year, kind of because I got to the last half of December and I was like 10 books away from my goal of 100 books. And so I was like, I got to get this done. So I swapped out. Usually I listen to music when I'm just doing my stuff around the house. So I started listening to audiobooks, which a lot of people do. And that kind of got me over the finish line at the end of the year. So one book I listened to in that final push was a reread of a favorite book. So this is my favorite reread of the year. So I read it for the first time in middle school. It's called Homeless Bird by Gloria Whalen. And it's a juvenile fiction book, but it stood up really, really well reading it again as an adult. And this is one that I actually haven't read in years. There's some juvenile fiction that I've reread many times over the years, but this one, it's been years since I read it. And saying that it's my favorite reread is saying a lot because I read a lot of books over again. It's not a new 2020 thing for me. I've always loved rereading books. But this year, because it was the first time I tracked it, I kind of have a, a quantified thing. About 30% of the books I read this year were rereads for me. So that's a large pool of books to choose from to pick my favorite. And Homeless Bird was my favorite. It is about a 14-year-old girl in India who has an, a marriage arranged for her because her family can't afford to keep her anymore. And so they arrange for her to get married. And um, she marries him, moves, moves to her husband. Her husband, who is as young as she is, dies shortly after their marriage. So she ends up being a 14-year-old widow. Um, and the book follows her through several years. She lives with her husband's family. Um, traditionally, if she were to return to her family, it would be um, kind of a huge deal and they'd be ashamed and everything. And so um, she stays with her husband's family. She en eventually ends up having to fend for herself. So um, rereading this, I listened to it as an audiobook for the first time, but I actually ended up buying a copy of it to keep it in my collection after listening to it because I remembered how much I love this book. Um, so I now have a physical book. I can reread anytime I want and I will because I love it. Wow. Jill, ah, you have so many good books so this do year. You. I know. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think this is my last one and it's kind of a cheater because I <laughs> it's a series. I, I didn't want to put whatever. You could say the first book of the series I guess but I'm gonna choose or it's not even a series it's like multiple anyway whatever okay so the last one that I wanted to include on my list is uh it's from our book list of superhero and princess books and we read so many princess and superhero books this year <laughs> but they were so perfect for 2020 for me happy endings familiar storylines comfortable yeah so we were trying to test run as many of these books as we could to compile our recommendations since we couldn't find really comprehensive lists out there especially for superheroes or lists for adults and I even calculated at one point the hours we spent on these books. And for a while, it was more than a full-time job for both of us. <laughs> we were reading so many of these. So anyway, one of the series that stood out to me the most was the Four Kingdoms series. There's actually a couple series that goes with this. And it's by Melanie Sellier. Maybe that's how you pronounce her name. Anyway. That's how I say it in my head. Okay. So look it up. It looks French to me. I don't know. See. But I don't speak French. So. Yeah. Anyway. So I truly enjoyed a lot of these books. And I'd never read of these princess, princess and superhero books. And I'd never read anything by Shannon Hale before, which is now going to be a staple <laughs> author in our home. I'd never read anything or I hadn't read everything by the author of our beloved Ella Enchanted, Gail Carson Levine. And I was seriously behind in all things princess and superhero. So choosing one that I read this year was pretty tough because of this. So instead of going with a classic one that you've likely read, like one of the Shannon Hales, I, I think that I'm kind of late to that boat. I, I don't know. Am I late to that? Late. I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of people did. Anyway, I went with a series that I couldn't put down and wonderfully they go on and on and on. So you don't have to put them down. <laughs> They're all in the same world. 
they retell fairy tales. They weave them together. These, the storylines are all woven together. And I do think that the paper versions or ebook versions of these would be a good idea since the same actress reads all of them. Maybe there's an actress for each of this. I, I don't remember. But anyway, with all of the characters, there's one person and it sort of got old hearing her same male voice for the male lead, the same female voices, even though they were different characters, if that makes sense. So it kind of, I don't know, if you have the Beast from Beauty and the Beast, but he has the same voice as, you know, Prince Eric from Little Mermaid. I, I don't know. It just didn't didn't work after you start mixing all of these fairy tales in together. So they'd be better if they had a full cast. Anyway, the books are a delight to breeze through. There are plenty of them. There are currently 15 and Cellier is still, Cellier, Cellier is still writing them. So they're still coming out with more. And she's also written another storyline that I read about or about the spoken mage. So if you're into fantasy or light romance, this is an author you should look into. And for more of our favorite princess and superhero books, you can look at our blog post about them because they were quite a few that we really liked. Um, but I had, <laughs> I decided to pick kind of a one top book for the year and it's not quite a series like yours, but it's a book and a sequel. So we can both cheat together here at the end. Um, so I'm just, I'm not even sure I can put into words why I love these books so much, but the war that saved my life and the war I finally won they're by Kimberly Brubaker Bradley. And they still make me so happy when I think about them months after reading them. Yeah. I almost said these. Yeah. <laughs> I was so close because you told me about these books. And oh, I was so close to putting oh, these on my top so five. Uh, highest rated on Goodreads is The War I Finally Run. Out of the 200 books that I have, The War I Finally Won is actually the highest rated. And for good reason. For good reason. Like I keep recommending it to everyone. But I read the first one. I just read the book jacket blurb. Once again, I was just browsing through things at the library, read the, the blurb. And it was this idea of World War II actually improving the life of a child that grabbed me. And this idea, like who, who thinks of that? Who thinks World War II? Let's make someone's life better. But it's the story of a girl. She has an untreated club foot and she and her brother leave their abusive mother and go to a rural village. At the start of the war, like a lot of kids from London got sent away. They left of their own will. They did not get sent away. Um, and so they, they go to this rural village and they, the, the people in the village find a place for them to stay. So the two books both take place during World War II. So their lives are not easy or perfect after that. But I thought that the books just had the perfect amount of struggle mixed with hope for these two kids because they had a very rough childhood with their mom and that was going to leave scars and going to leave psychological damage. And the author did not ignore that, but she also didn't um, let that completely derail the book and the hope of their future. So sequels don't always hold up to the original books, but this sequel holds its own. And there are times I thought that maybe I even like it a tiny bit more than the first. I can't decide. They're neck and neck. But either way, they are such good reads. And still the books I think about and tell everybody who even remotely asks for a book recommendation, I tell them about these books. So that is why these two books jointly are my top read for 2020. So good. They are so good. And the sequel is the one that has just a smidge higher rating on Goodreads. Mm, interesting. So, <laughs> so I was not alone in in thinking not alone. as good or better. Interesting. I think I like the I think I like the resolution, yeah. the feel of there it goes back to closure. Mm -hmm. I, I liked the feeling of closure, I think, from the from the sequel. So so good. Very good. Well, I have loved hearing your books. And I'm excited to look at your full list because a lot of these, we didn't talk about these beforehand. So a lot of these I'd never heard of before. So, <laughs> well, okay. I have a, a final question for you, Joe. What is your 2021 reading goal? All right. So I'm actually not a huge goal setter, to be honest, uh, in like any area of my life. The few goals I manage to come up with are usually pretty vague. They're pretty last minute. They're ever-changing. Um, but after going through my list of books I read last year, um, when we were prepping for this episode, I'm, I'm proud of what I managed to do last year. I don't regret any of the books I read, but it did make me want to expand my reading horizons a little bit. And I'm, I'm in a, a better mental place than I was last year. So 
I haven't really quantified this goal or wish or whatever it is, but I would like to read more nonfiction this year, um, which is not going to be hard because, like I said, I read five nonfiction books last year. So I read six and boom, goal done. Eat low hanging fruit. That's all we got to do. That's all we got to do. <laughs> all right. What's your 2021 goal, Amanda? Do you have anything? All right. Well, I definitely decided that 200 is not a goal that I will try to repeat anytime, <laughs> at least in the near future, but likely not before I am very old. <laughs> For lots of time on my hands. So I'll be publishing the results of consuming that many books in one year, <laughs> what that did to my brain, my family, etc. in a blog post. But for right now, 200 is a bit more than I want to shoot for. So instead of looking at numbers and, and trying for that, I'm going to be trying to slow it down and actually read more books in paper format so that I'm not doing as many audiobooks Audiobooks are great when you're in the car, when you're, you know, folding laundry or whatever. But I feel like this year I want to have more of a, a slowing down for reading. So I want to spend more time actually uh, engaged fully in just reading, if that makes sense. <laughs> so not multitasking, just to, you know, read and nothing but. So I'm going to stick to my bookshelf, actually, for the most part. And my goal is to read all the books that I haven't finished, <laughs> or even started that I already own. So be they paper books, ebooks, audiobooks, because I don't know, I have quite a few sitting on my shelf that I've never actually read. And I also started quite a few series this last year that I didn't finish because of mostly time constraints with superhero lists and whatnot. So I'm going to be filling in with those as well. Driving is when I listen to most of my, my audiobooks. So I'll fill in with some fluff there, but no numbers this year. I'm, I'm not doing numbers. No numbers. <laughs> Probably <laughs> <It's> too stressful. <laughs> so I'll be tracking my books on Jansen's. I, I like that you wanted to track your books as a goal last year. And it was really helpful for me to do that. So I'll be tracking on Jansen's new printable log for 2021 because I love it. And we'll post a link to that. But I'm not going to try and fill it necessarily. I think it goes up to 100 again. But, you know, we'll see what happens. So. I like it. Here's to reading in 2021. Indeed. So we would also love to hear your favorite books of 2020 as well. And also hear what the pandemic did to your reading habits. So shoot us a comment on Instagram or Facebook, on the episode post, and send us your Goodreads account too, so we can follow each other bookishly with books. <laughs> so we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> bookishly? I don't know. I'm visualizing us creeping behind people, like dressed like librarians. <laughs> That's the visual that popped into my head. With our stack of books <laughs> with us. What are you reading? <laughs> Looking around. Anyway. <laughs> And with that visual, <laughs> welcome to the new year, everyone. Let's hope that 2021 is looking up. And thanks for listening to us. Hope you enjoyed the books that we read. Take a look at the full list. We'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon, everyone. Bye.